Welcome back to the program. For over 30 years and through over 30 books, Anne Rice has captivated us with her imaginative fiction. She has become one of the most beloved novelists of our time. With each new book or series, she not only reinvents herself, but reinvents whole new arenas of fiction, from the Vampire Chronicles to her Christ the Lord books to the World of Angels. Now she continues her move into the realm of werewolves, where she still brings her own quite unique perspective. During a time when we all face real dangers each and every day, she gives us a reason to escape into another world, but at the same time stay connected to our own. The Wolves of Midwinter is her latest, and it is my pleasure to welcome Anne Rice back to this program. Anne, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. I want to talk about this idea of being able to enter this strange realm, to enter these unique worlds, but at the same time keeping one foot grounded in modernity, into the reality of everyday life. Talk a little bit about that that juxtaposition. Well, with these two books, The Wolf Gift and The Wolves of Midwinter, I wanted very much to try to bring my Gothic sensibility, which is really more a 19th century sensibility, I wanted to bring that to modern Northern California. I wanted to see if I could do that, if I could bring the romance and the ambience and the darkness that I'd worked with in earlier books right into the modern world to a werewolf hero who can photograph himself with his iPhone when he's in full wolf coat <laughs> and uh, and and can reflect on and speak about being a man-wolf when he is, in fact, a man-wolf, when he's, you know, in the midst of the change. And it's to me, it's been very exciting to write these books. I've, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, taking the modern consequences of what it means for a young man, 23, to change into a man-wolf, go out into the night, uh, kill evildoers and leave body parts strewn around San Francisco and then go home and change back into his human shape and deal with the fact that the man-wolf has become a comic book hero for San Francisco and, and the northern coast. What were the particular challenges in doing that, in setting this within, as you say, the modern world of, of the Bay Area today? Well, it's always texture. To me, that's texture and atmosphere are what makes supernatural fiction work. You've got to get the texture right. You've got to get the feeling right. So texture is a matter of timing, pacing, uh, adjectives, uh, verbs. It's, it's just uh, the mechanics of writing create uh, ambience and, and texture. And I, I think I was able to do it to my satisfaction, but, you know, there are going to be critics who... who well, you know, when you write over 30 books, there are going to be people who like an earlier book better than the new book. And there's not going to be any consensus with my readers ever on what are the best earlier books or what are the best recent books. But for me, it, I was able to get the texture. I was able to create this big house of Nidek Point where my hero, Reuben, gets bitten um, and where he goes for various reasons to find the answer to how he became um, a werewolf or a man-wolf. And, of course, in that house he meets other members of the tribe and they tell him what he is and what the rules are and how it all came about. And he he finds that now that he's in the world of the werewolves, he has a new sort of alternative family in that world. Uh, and he needs that because he's pulling away from his old family. He can't tell people in the family what he is. And um, that's really what it's all about for me. That's that's what supernatural fiction 
is all about. It's it it's for me. It's about writing about outsiders and outcasts, vampires, witches, werewolves, uh, even the mummy. You know, the resuscitated Egyptian mummy, and and talking about how how these characters reflect the outcast in each of us, the predator in each of us, the lonely one, etc. And I love um, going into the story, accepting it as totally real, and just working on the emotions and the adventures of, of the protagonist. Isn't that what makes superheroes sometimes, and, and kind of superheroes that have survived for so long as characters, what makes them so enduring, which is this sense of operating in the real world and, and people being able to relate to them in that way? Well, that yeah, that's it. I think our imaginations crave superheroes. They always have. People went down to the tavern in 700 B.C. to listen to a poet tell the stories of Ulysses and Achilles and so forth. You know, we crave superheroes. We want to get away from ordinary life and its burdens and and sort of, you know, dream with our superheroes. But we also have to have some verisimilitude. We have to have a context for that hero that lets us believe in him for a while and put everything else aside and just go into the reality of that hero. And, of course, the challenge for us writers is to make that context. In an age in which we are, particularly in the Bay Area, the area that you write about, certainly more cynical and more ironic as a culture, what are the particular nuances that you have to address given that? Uh, you, I guess you have to address it head on. Uh, if you're talking about a young boy who is a werewolf and he's walking around right now, you have to address the cynicism of the culture about all supernatural questions. You have to deal with the fact that people aren't going to catch on to what he is because they don't believe in it. They don't believe it's possible. So you, that's the way you confront it. Yeah, I, I think you, you don't pretend that, that the world has no werewolf stories or werewolf movies. You deal with it head on. Like one of the things Ruben does as soon as he realizes what's happening to him, um, he looks up werewolves on the Internet. He looks up all the legends. He looks up all the movies. He, he finds all the info he can on it. And, of course, in the reality of the novel or the novels, the Internet can't really answer his questions about his particular species of man-wolf or where he came from. But you don't gain anything by pretending that info isn't out there. You know, you don't... You, you, that's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. I think we've all had that experience of watching a bad vampire movie right. and, <laughs> and watching everybody stumble around and not guessing that it's a vampire. And we think, have you never been to the movies, any of you people? It's a vampire. <laughs> I mean, don't you get it? Two wounds in the neck? I mean... You know, so you have to, if you're going to make it go to a really deep level, you have to accommodate the legends and the popular entertainment. You have to do something with them. You don't want to make snide inside jokes, you know, about other people's work. <laughs> but, you you know, you want to accommodate it. Right. And take advantage of what expectations are to either play yeah. to them or against them in some cases. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, one of the things about my men wolves or she wolves is they don't become four-footed animals. They're primates. They turn into um, beings that maybe even resemble Bigfoot more than they resemble a wolf. But but it is lupine what's happening to them. They are covered in fur. They have fangs. They have uh, canine or lupine senses. They can pick up the scent of they can pick up the scent of evil the way dogs pick up the scent of fear. Mm-hmm. And and they also, when they're in their full wolf coat, as they call it, 
they can kill with impunity. They don't feel any human regret about it. But they also don't lose their minds. They are still themselves. Ruben's Ruben and, and Felix is Felix, the different people in the book. They continue to be themselves, and they have to morally evaluate later on what they've done. So I had a lot of fun playing with it, to tell you the truth. I, I, I thought it was it was great fun to try, especially to bring it to the California forests, uh, to Mere Woods, to the Mendocino Coast, which to me is, is such a beautiful, wonderful place to put a big mysterious house and try to get the kind of mystery that the English have always gotten with their coast in, in their ghost stories and in their uh, stories of great houses and great hauntings and things. Talk a little bit about the violence that accompanies it and a little bit about how you approach that. Well, there is violence, and I think that's one of the joys of being a werewolf, that you get to be violent. You get to tear bad guys limb from limb. And I think that we have a a need in our fiction to deal with violence. We always have. And there's a longing in each person, as we we sit here and read, to be a big, strong um, werewolf that can take a bad guy and bite his head off. You know, we can't do that. We're never going to be able to do anything like that for very good moral and cultural and physical reasons. But that doesn't mean we don't long to do it. And we don't long for the simple solution of the comic book hero swooping in and just stopping the violence that threatens us every day of our lives through newspapers and TV and and reality. So to me, it's, it's fun to play with that. We, we, I don't see anything ever to be gained by taking violence out of literature or out of television or out of movies. It's a question of what you do with it, how you handle it. Is that some of the appeal that it can, the world can be seen in these stories in a very Manichaean kind of way, in a way that, that real life just can't? Exactly. A Manichaean way, a black and white, it, <clears throat> good or evil. But... Part of what Reuben is finding out in The Wolves of Midwinter is it isn't really black and white, that it may seem simple to the man-wolves when they go out and they pick up the scent of evil, but what if they happen on somebody and they don't get that scent, and yet they know cerebrally that the person's evil or doing wrong? What do they do then? They don't feel the hormonal need to kill the guy, but something has to be done. They confront that situation in The Wolves of Midwinter when they bust into this... um, House of Prostitution on the Mexican coast, and they 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 realize, and they're not picking the scent of evil up from all of the different customers in the place, that some of them sort of become victims in the midst of this sort of werewolf massacre that's going on, and and life isn't black and white. You know, it's easy to kill the pimps, and easy to kill the slave traders who brought the kids there. Uh, but when they go to the victims, it becomes a little more nuanced and complex. I mean, not the victims, when they come to the customers, it's a little more complex as to who is really evil and who is just sort of a very weak, weak person. And Reuben himself has to come to terms with that, this strange and shifting nature of good and evil. Yes, he does. And and I want to go on with that in the third and fourth book. I want to get into... Um, what happens when the man-wolves confront another man-wolf who has a very different idea of evil from theirs. Because that's where the series is going to go. I mean, that's one of the directions it's going to take, is how do these man-wolves deal with other man-wolves around the world, or or she-wolves, for that matter. I haven't come up with a 
good term for the women. Woman wolf doesn't sound right, you know, and she wolf sounds a bit exploitive. So I don't know exactly what to call the females of the species at this point. But but already in wolves of midwinter, they encounter another group, and there's quite a bit of conflict. I don't want to, you know, give any spoilers because sure. I hope people will read the book. But they get into some real hassles with another group of, of morphin kinda, as they call themselves. How different was it creating and writing about these werewolves versus the world of vampires that you wrote about for so long? I find I find both of them very very pleasant but, uh, to work with, very much fun. But the vampires I started thirty years ago, and it's a much the vampire series is much darker, and and it reflected a lot of of of, of despair and misery on my part. Um, I think the this new series about the werewolves is a lighter series in that I, it does not have as much darkness and despair in it. It's, it, I really wanted it to be more fun. I wanted to open doors rather than bang them shut. Um, I wanted to have many different story possibilities rather than keep killing people or having things end in tragedy. So that to me is the big difference. It's lighter in feel and there are more possibilities and these these men wolves are are not condemned to live in darkness like the vampires. They're not as dramatically changed by what they are as the vampires. The vampires really become the living dead. And it, it again, a different series offer me different opportunities to do different things, and I like that. And is dealing with the power of immortality different in dealing with the werewolves? Well, yes, because they don't sacrifice as much for their immortality as the vampires have sacrificed. They immediately, Reuben immediately discovers that having become a man-wolf, he's not going to be a, a victim of disease or old age. They aren't going to have any effect on him. He can theoretically live forever. And he realizes that means he's going to outlive all the human beings he loves. And uh, And also, he has the capacity to share this gift with them, just like the vampires do, and that's a very heavy burden. How does he handle that? Um, and, you know, he, he one of the things happening in the Wolves of Midwinter is that Felix, the older Morphin Kent or man-wolf, wants a huge celebration of Christmas so that the young man-wolves in the book, Reuben and Stuart, his friend, so that they really interact with their human families at Christmas and then have the alternative... Yuletide with the wolves in the forest. But as Felix is trying to tell them, you know, don't draw back from your human families. Enjoy them while you have them. Interact with them. Have Christmas with them. And and so part of the book is this huge Christmas celebration that takes place on all levels and brings people together and sort of shows what can be done with a feast day to um, to make people happy. And to and to really uh, affect their lives in a good way. Anne Rice, her latest is The Wolves of Midwinter. It is just out from Kanaf. And I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 